You are listening to the APSI podcast, the association of people supporting employment first with your host, Chris Davies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are finally uh, back together again for our second Minnesota APSI podcast. Uh, it's so great to, to see everybody today. Appreciate you checking in with us. Uh, very fortunate today to be here with Barb Zemke of the Pacer Center. Say hi, Barb. Hey, everyone. So glad to join you today. And we're going to get more, uh, more into uh, who Barb is and, and what she's all about uh, in just a minute. I uh, just wanted to, to go over a couple of quick things with you uh, since we haven't had a podcast in a while. I know for you avid uh, Minnesota APSI followers that watch our podcast religiously, you know that uh, at the end of the last podcast, I mentioned that Alicia Munson would be our, our, our next uh, attendee uh, for the podcast. And I think we all know that uh, COVID-19 hit, uh, hit in a big way, and we're all uh, uh, living uh, in this pandemic time, which is, uh, it's certainly a cliche, but it's true. Uh, it's unparalleled times, uh, like things we've never, uh, you know, felt in our, in our lifetimes anyway. And so we, uh, along with uh, everybody else, had to kind of reassess what we were going to do next. Uh, and we've all been, been working mostly from home, as many of you have. And, and we thought about, well, what would be the, the, the best appropriate, you know, podcast subject for now? And, and we thought it would be really good to talk today about uh, families and individuals and and kind of what they're, uh, you know, facing during this uh, pandemic, and and how they're surviving, and not only surviving but but thriving, and and talk about that, and and what are people actually doing uh, to access employment services, and uh, and to find jobs, and to stay on the job uh, during this time, and how are they getting their information, making their decisions, and. And all those kinds of, of things and, and just have a, a real conversation with with somebody who whose opinion we really respect, you know, quite a bit in uh, in Barb Zimke. And before we get uh, into uh, into your Barb, um, we I just want to sort of remind everybody a little bit more about Minnesota AFSI and what we stand for. It's become a tradition for our podcast for me to to tell you what our, our purpose statement is. Uh, and uh, we, we're very proud of it and, and really believe it and stand behind it. So, so before we uh, go any further, I'd, I'd like to tell you what Minnesota APSI stands for. Uh, we are an action-oriented organization and we exist to bring people together to raise expectations so that people with disabilities can uh, be employed and contribute and assume their roles and responsibilities as citizens in their communities. Uh, Minnesota APSI, we believe that employment is the same wages, standards, responsibilities, expectations, and opportunities available to any working uh, adult. Uh, we believe one person at a time, employment is the avenue out of poverty and isolation. Uh, so that's just a little bit more about uh, Minnesota APSI, who we are, and, and what we stand for. Uh, I'm very proud to be a part of this organization and to be 
uh, on the board of Minnesota APSI as, as well as uh, a couple of their uh, committees, such as the Communication Committee, which leads me uh, to you here today. So uh, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, our, our uh, special guest uh, here today and, and have her tell us a little bit more about herself. Uh, Barb has such a long title, I'm not even going to try <laughs> to, uh, to even approach it. Uh, I asked her uh, what it was just a moment ago when we were preparing and, and realized that I wasn't even going to attempt that one. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to turn it over to you, Barb, for a, a few minutes to introduce yourself. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Chris. And I'm really happy to have been uh, asked to be a part of this today. Uh, APSI is an important organization in that it really aligns with uh, PACER's philosophies and um, objectives around high expectations for everyone uh, with and without disabilities, inspiring possibilities, really focusing on inclusion and meaningful participation in every part of life and the importance of work um, for all of us as citizens and individuals. So um, it's, it's great to be a part of this conversation today in light of the exceptional challenges, all of us, um, both those who work in the field and those of us who are family members and then those, of course, um, that we're here on behalf of, which is individuals with unique gifts and skills and abilities and also unique challenges that we all wanna support in being successful. So I'm from Pacer Center, and just quickly for those of you who haven't heard of us, Pacer's been around for about 40 years. If, um, if we are the state's parent training and information center that's partially funded through the uh, Individuals for Disabilities Education Act to help families of uh, children with all disabilities, um, we're not disability specific, navigate special education, anything to do with getting the services and supports that they need to live those uh, meaningful um, and full lives, in including educational services. So I, I went to Pacer Center about uh, 19 years ago um, and was one of those special education parent advocates where you all have some training in one field or another that's related, but we all also are parents of children or young adults. And, and now, because many of us stay at Pacer a long time, older adults, um, with disabilities. So we kind of have a dual um, kind of perspective that I think um, is what attracted me as a parent when I first contacted PACER around making sure my son Brandon, who's now in his early 30s, uh, who has an intellectual and developmental disability, I wanted to be sure that I could be the best advocate possible for him to live an inclusive life starting with inclusive education. So my passion for the work that I do comes from Brandon. He's my role model. He's taught me everything I know about all of this. Um, so I kind of wish he could be on the podcast today, but I did speak to him and I'm gonna share a little bit about um, Brandon's wisdom about how to navigate this really challenging time. So my title, which I did not author, my predecessor did, um, at Pacer about four years ago in recognition that we don't do as good a job as we should with what happens to children and young adults once they leave public education, many times at age 21, for those with significant disabilities, and face what we call the transition cliff. Um, and so we wanted to build a better bridge to help families primarily um, ensure that they didn't fall off that cliff. 
that there was something on the other side. And a big part of that is employment. I'll just say for Brandon, from the time he got his first real paycheck um, as part of a work uh, study kind of uh, set, set up that he had in, um, I think ninth grade, got that first paycheck through tree trust, I think. Um, he was motivated to work and uh, we have seen such benefits. It has been a life changer for him and the families that I talk to, um, that is true for most of the families I talk to as well. So there really is a, a need for us to be committed to this together to make it happen. So at PACER, we started the National Parent Center on Transition and Employment. So we go broader than Minnesota. Um, and I co-direct that program now. Um, and as a part of that, I get to talk and email with and um, do workshops with a lot of families with kids, um, young adults. And primarily we work through about age 28, I would say, although we don't turn anybody away to direct them in the right, um, to the right kinds of resources and supports that they need. So that's a little bit about me and what we do. Um, and I'll that's let great. Chris uh, tell me what he wants to talk about next. That's great. Well, well thank you uh, so much, Barb. And the, the title is definitely worthy of its length uh, because the, the impact you and, and Pacer Center has uh, on families uh, and, and individual lives uh, is really immeasurable. So uh, it's it's great to have you on today. And and you and I go kind of way back, uh, yes. you know, at least uh, sort of way back, you know, at yes. my age, it's not that long ago now, but uh, I think you and I originally met and I met Brandon about 10 or 12 uh, years oh. ago. Yeah. And so yeah. it's really special to, to be able to, to reconnect with you here today. Yes. And you were part of the big picture of success. And I always tell families too, it's not a one-time deal. You get the job of your dreams. It's a progression for all of us. Um, yes, and uh, you and Kaposha was an important, were an important part of that process. So, um, well, yeah, thank we you. That's that's nice of you to say. But uh, it's uh, it's all Brandon. <laughs> well, it actually it's all is. Brandon. So, okay, so let's let's get into it. So you know, the first um, topic I'd like to to kind of hear you um, uh, talk about is is sort of what are families doing? You know, during this time. Um, what kind of you know concerns, challenges are they running into uh, in terms of specifically when we're talking about returning to work or, or looking for work? What are you hearing from from families right now as we're we're living in this pandemic? Right, it's it's a really challenging time for all families, um, both educationally and just in all aspects of community life. I think that um, for families of individuals with disabilities, it's like you have all the same kinds of concerns, but they're just really amplified. They're really magnified. You know, I sometimes say it's like they're on steroids. So, you know, I'm hearing um, a variety of responses, just like you would in the general population. You know, the level of concern over COVID varies from family to family. And Chris, I know when we were talking earlier, you know, this kind of like no judgment zone language came up that, you know, it, it, when I'm talking to families, I'm just reminded all the time how we all need to suspend judgment because unless we hear the backstory, we have no way of knowing um, why people are making the decisions that they're making. So I'm hearing a variety of things from families, but I will say in general, almost every family I talk to, COVID has been, you know, a hot topic as far as the challenge it is already to, um, for families 
to and individuals to balance out the kind of dignity of risk issues of um, we really want to not limit um, the opportunities with health and safety issues and um, how that has always been challenging, but now it's even more challenging, um, partly because I think there's such, um, a, it's so hard right now to get the information that you need um, because you hear every kind of an opinion out there. And uh, so families are really grappling with how do I know what's the right thing to do? Um, having concerns over, am I, am I balancing out this risk versus safety? Uh, what's good uh, for and what the individual wants? Um, and then almost having to do a, a risk versus benefits analysis because it's more than just health and safety. Uh, your job provides lots of benefits. And so, you know, if I lose this job for the long run, how will this affect me? So families are really grappling with how do I make the right decision, I would say, uh, overall. And I have some examples I'll share a little bit later, but I would say that's, that's kind of the big issue for families is, you know, considering if they don't go to work or if they don't continue to find a job now and they're a young person, how will that affect the trajectory for the future of employment? Um, beyond the health and safety, they're thinking, how does this affect their mental health if they're just at home and not going out? Their loss of motivation, perhaps, over work or skill regression. Those are all real, real concerns of families. Yeah, yeah, I can appreciate all of that. And I, I, can know, I know just from being involved in the provider community, uh, hearing from a lot of folks that provide uh, support, to, to serve, uh, support services to folks, that that mental health piece uh, during this time has really been been huge and it's been a, a not that we wouldn't always our, our 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 providers or support people wouldn't always think holistically about somebody's overall health and and what each individual person might might need um but during this time we've noticed that that's become really to the forefront of of the kind of support people have been been wanting and, and needing and and we'll we'll definitely get more into that as well um well brandon if you're watching uh i want to personally thank you for uh, allowing us to sort of dive into your your journey a little bit uh here today um as your as your mom said she would love uh, that you were here as as would i uh but we appreciate you giving her uh, permission to talk a little bit about your journey and so specifically barb i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about uh you know, specifically uh, Brandon's journey during this time uh, and sort of how he has navigated the pandemic and, and his uh, uh, employment uh, decisions that he's had to, to make and, and, and sort of how he's navigated this time. Sure. Thank you. And, you know, he can't be here because he's working. <laughs> That's a great reason. Thank you for saying that. It's a little bit of spoiler, but um, he hasn't been working all through this. So I'll just just tell a little bit of our story. Um, Brandon um, was really fortunate to um, get to go to a post-secondary education program called Beyond Limits, which is for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities on a college campus. Um, that was life-changing for him. And as a part of that, he um, got a job in the ca campus cafeteria. He loves working with food. Um, he loves food <laughs> and um, he um, 
was able to keep that job after he left the program. And he was also able to um, move out of the family home um, into an apartment that he shares with a, a roommate. And so his, his situation at the time COVID hit was that he was living in an apartment away from our home, but in this area. And um, the school cafeteria closed down because they had to shut down the campus and go to all online um, in, when that hit in the, at the end of March. So that job went away. And then Brandon also works uh, part-time, one day a week because of the college component um, at a local grocery. Um, and he had to make a decision because they stayed open about what was he going to go back to work there. And then when the school reopened here in the summer, he also had a decision to make about going back to his cafeteria job. So we're very involved in, uh, we use a supported decision-making kind of mm -hmm. process with Brandon. Um, and so we say our role, see our role as just really helping him to process things and make informed decisions. And so we wanted to support him in this. So we had lots of discussions about it. I will say I'm the kind of parent um, and person that for a variety of reasons would be seen as overprotective. I kind of wish everybody just wore a helmet all the time. I drive my husband crazy. So I am very safety conscience, conscious um, and have to really work hard to pull back in that area. Um, we also have a family member living in our home who's very high risk um, for COVID uh, because of an underlying health issue. So we had a lot of different things to kind of take into consideration because Brandon still comes home, you know, he'll come home for a weekend or if his roommate's gone, he'll spend time with us. So I want you to know if you're uh, watching today and you're from a family, I'm just trying to say we had a lot of the same kinds of concerns that I'm hearing from a lot of families and it was really hard to make decisions and it was really hard to let Brandon make his own decisions about some of these issues with our support. I was so proud of him though. We said, what do you want to do about your grocery store job? Um, and he said, you know, when I work there right now, my job there is he's just um, working in the aisles throughout the store, kind of straightening, dusting, sweeping, doing that kind of thing. He said, there's so many strangers coming in, so many people. Um, and a lot of them don't wear their masks. This was earlier on. And they're not really respecting the distance thing. And I feel like since it's only one day a week um, and transportation is kind of an issue for that one, that I should just see if I can just not go for a while. So we supported that and the employer was great, you know, said, if that's what you want to do, we support that. Then the cafeteria job opened back up and Brandon needed to make a decision. I will tell you my first thought was, I don't want him in that kitchen, close quarters, lots of people working together. But so the first step was, I said, we need to find out how they're opening up and what's that going to look like, Brandon, and then that'll help you make a decision. So we learned there were only three people on a crew at one time. They were all going to wear masks. They were going to have distancing things in place. And Brandon said, I really want to go back to work. So we said, okay, we'll try it because you really don't know how this is going to work until you try it. So that's what we decided to do. So Brandon's been working back in his one job since um, they opened that back up, I think, uh, June, early June. Um, and he is so happy to be able to go to work today. And as I talk to other parents and the other parents who share stories, I'll share too. 
I will say a common denominator when they were able to go back to work, which not everyone was, was just how not only was the work important for work's sake, but it seems to elevate their, um, like their other skills, their independent skills even, and their confidence level in other areas as well. So, you know, Brandon's a happier camper when he's working. And I think that's probably true for most of us who have jobs that we really enjoy. So that's the Brandon story. Um, he has friends who didn't make those same decisions, but again, they have a different set of circumstances. So, you know, I can um, answer questions at this point, or I can share a few more examples if that would be helpful. Well, uh, first, I just want to say that I really appreciate, uh, you know, the way you laid that out and that, um, going back to what you were saying about it's it's a non sort of a non-judgment zone and that uh each person has their own unique you know situation and uh during this time we really can't judge what a person or what a family you know uh decides to do it's it's what's right for them right and i think one of the purposes of of this um podcast today is to talk about some examples of, of how people have, have made decisions and, and what they're doing and also talk about what is possible so people can decide for themselves, uh, you know, if they want uh, to, to look for a job right now or to, to continue working right now. Because just, it's uh, like you said, it's universal, uh, Barb. It's not just about people with disabilities. This is a human thing. And uh, People with disabilities experience life the way all of us do, uh, and uh, and uh, and find jobs meaningful for the same reasons you know anyone does. And and so I really appreciate you laying that out. And and I can just tell you personally uh, that one of the reasons I'm passionate about this field is an experience you know I I was going through when I was 25 and I was out of work for six months, and I'll never forget the difference. I felt just in my overall well-being the day I, I went back to work. The first day I went back to work and started to work again. Uh, so uh, it really does have a tremendous impact uh, one way or the other. And, and sometimes we don't realize how much we, we really do value our jobs until we can't go to them. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, no, I, I appreciate you, you telling that. And we're definitely going to get back to more examples. And, and you had mentioned that that you wanted to talk about how families access information. Right. I think we'll switch gears for just a minute before we, we go, uh, go back to that and talk a little bit about, you know, what, what is out there and what uh, some providers are doing. Uh, I'm here today, uh, you know, representing, as you know, Minnesota APSI and, and also representing, you know, a variety of uh, employment, customized employment, you know, providers in the Twin Cities and and I'd just like to briefly uh, sort of uh, talk about what, what many providers are doing right now during this time, because I think some families still might not be, you know, even aware, you know, what's possible and, and what people are doing. Uh, would you say that's true? I think it's absolutely true. Yes. Okay. okay. So I, I, I find great value in what you're going to do now, which is to great. explain how does this work? Great. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, I know for providers, uh, specifically, we're talking about uh, customized employment providers, and we are talking more about that today because, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, APSI has a very strong belief system in what employment is, and so I'm speaking from that perspective today. 
Um, but most uh, providers, uh, even you know, at the onset of the uh, the pandemic, didn't stop doing what they were doing. Um, merely more reacted to what was going on, and 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 it sort of mirrored what every you know the general population was experiencing. So. For many providers, uh, many folks that they were working with uh, and working in jobs uh, were furloughed, and so we we would they would react, you know, to that. Um, we uh, uh, at at Composia and many other providers uh, are are providing employment services uh, actively right now. Uh, new people uh, are seeking our services, and we're starting. Uh, work with new people to help them find jobs and we're very much doing it in a way that you know a lot of employers are and using technologies and sort of a, a blended you know approach uh, for many of the employment providers out there uh, right now they are, are doing a lot of work remotely uh, via things like zoom and Microsoft teams or even just video chat on a on a phone so if a um, if somebody wanted to look for work, uh, you know they would work with that employment provider and the and the specific staff that was you know uh, working with that individual would would do a lot of things remotely. Uh, you know for especially at the beginning, uh, at some point, depending on what everybody's journey is and sort of where they end up wanting to work and the kind of businesses they want to explore. At some point, there you know is some some going out and, and meeting face to face or having an informational meeting with an employer. You can still do a lot of that with technology if it if it makes sense. But it's about doing what what makes the most sense and doing it in 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 a safe way. So providing uh, or proceeding with with safety you know in mind and and it means that we you know and providers are looking at things in a lot of different ways uh, instead of the traditional perhaps transportation way where a, a staff might just go pick somebody up and not really think about it maybe they meet there and they both get get there in in a way that is safe for them and and that they're both comfortable with it's much like everything much like everything else we've been talking about it's situation and person by person specific it's in and it's what makes sense uh, but the, the net and the short story is, uh, and, and there are providers providing employment services, and, and so we really suggest uh, that if you are interested in employment uh, and interested in exploring employment right now, whether you have a job and you're looking for support or whether you uh, are wanting to work, uh, that you do informational meetings with, you know, the providers in, in town and, and places like uh, Pacer Center as well as case managers can give you uh, all the information you need. Uh, you can certainly find information on uh, Minnesota APSE's website as well, uh, www.mnapse.org. So there you go. There's the first time I'm going to say it anyway. Um, and and so those things are happening and and just sort of happening in a in a different way and much like all of us are are working in a different way uh this this pandemic and not to to take it lightly by any means cuz it it has a real you know dramatic effect on a lot of people and some people it unfortunately has meant you know life and death and uh so not that we don't take it seriously at all but it's changed the way we live and i I'll, I'll be very interested to see 
you know, going into the future, how much we use what we've learned, you know, during this time uh, is, uh, it might not just be business as usual for a long time. So, um, but yeah, so the, like I said, the, the short story is that it is happening. And, and if you think you're interested, it's, it's worth, you know, meeting with people to, uh, to find out what they're doing. Right. And I, I will, can I interject something there too? I just, I think it's so important um, for the providers and for the family's benefit to um, be very specific, paint a picture rather than just give a blurb about um, the ways that they are ensuring safety. For instance, I went on one website, you know, and it said we're providing PPE, you know, to all of our workers. Well, PPE, is that even the right acronym? I don't, personal protective equipment? Yeah. Um, so, you know, speak plain English, don't use jargon if you're a provider, don't assume they know what you mean by that. You know, I, I, for me as a family member, it's just really helpful to know, you know, they're, they're going to have, you know, I, one of the families I talked to, it's a, a cashier, the young person is a cashier. Mm -hmm. And um, I won't say the name of the individual because I didn't get permission, but it's a young man who, can I, use a story to illustrate this point? Yes, okay. please do. So it's a young man who got a brand new job just as this all was hitting at a thrift store that was just going to open. And it was like a mile from his, his apartment, everything it was so perfect about it and he really wanted to do it. He's on the autism spectrum though. And he was gonna be a cashier, but high sensory you know, issues around the mask thing, but he just didn't wanna say no to that opportunity. So. Um, this is where uh, the family, although they usually let this individual take the lead on all of this, did get a little bit involved to help him figure out what were some accommodations I could ask for and how do we find out what the employer is going to do and supported him in this kind of interactive discussion with that employer. Well, as it turns out, they requested the accommodation of him not wearing a mask, which is a huge issue around being a cashier right around people. But they did, um, they were having plexiglass at all of the cashier stands and they extended that so that he would have, a, the customer also would have a higher measure of that. Um, they were able to tell him exactly like, you're gonna have gloves, you're, we're gonna you know, make sure everybody wears a mask. So I think sometimes um, the message is for families, don't make assumptions, find out exactly what this means, you know, and then for the providers, don't make assumptions that people know how great you're doing with how you're providing things. Really say, this is how it will look for this individual on that job. Mm -hmm. And then I, I just think getting employers more actively involved in the conversation has been really helpful to the families I talk to. Um, even one youth um, asked for an accommodation of including the parent on a phone call because the parent needed that information as much as this young person did in order to support the decision. So I think, um, I guess the message is for employment providers to be really clear and for families not to apologize for needing more information more directly than they might have in the past um, when there might have been a support uh, job coach or someone else more actively involved on the ground level. Yeah, that's a really good message. And, you know, as somebody that does work for a provider, I have to remind myself of that, that, uh, that I'm, I'm living in the, 
quote unquote jargon, you know, arena. So I know what all the acronyms mean and, and all those kind of things. And, and I think really painting a clear picture and, and a more specific story uh, makes a, a lot of sense. And, uh, and, and obviously until you find the job, you don't know all the answers to that story, but, but it's about uh, talking about, well, when you do, we're going to, you know, really dive in and, and, and get information from the employer and the manager and, and make sure all your questions are answered and, and help, um, help you adjust to whatever it is that you need. You know, I, I, most of the customized employment providers that, that I'm really familiar with really focus on each individual and, and, and trying to provide whatever the right support is for that person. You know, I have a personal saying that I like to say is, is, uh, you know, we don't want to provide any more support or any less support than somebody needs. It's all about the right amount of support. And you and I, Barb, we get support and, and, the, and ways that we need it too. You know, that's a universal thing. And, and it's about really being, you know, person centered. So, but I, I really appreciate uh, that message very much, especially as, as one who's a, a provider and speaks to a lot of families and, and individuals. Uh, and you're right, it's uh, a lot of unique things are, are happening and in, in sort of ha how to navigate new jobs. I, I know a story of, of, of one employment support person that, that literally helped uh, the individual that, that uh, she was supporting shave because they had a, um, a dress code and, uh, or a code at the place he was working that, that you know, he needed to have a certain uh, type of shave. And he typically went to a salon to have that done and the salons were closed. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, creating all sorts of opportunities to think outside the box, uh, let's just say. So, so yeah. Actually, so th yeah, that, that is a benefit. And again, this goes beyond disabilities. Employers have found all kinds of ways to do distance employment when in the past many of them said this is impossible um, but I do think a key to the success stories of the people that I've talked to is um, the ability for whomever is involved including the family to be flexible and creative um, so often it's about knowing uh, identifying an accommodation or a support as a possibility and getting people on board just to give that a try. And, you know, this is a little bit fluid, our conversation, but while I'm thinking about it, um, I found some really good resources around, uh, you know, if you're kind of struggling with what kind of accommodations could be helpful in making this work for a young person or a, an adult with a disability. Um, the organization JAN, the Job Accommodation Network, and so askjan.org, um, has COVID accommodations information where they lay out some really um, by category different solutions um, based on the different kinds of disabilities and the impact of those disabilities in employment. Um, so there are some good resources out there, I think, to help teams, employers, and families, and the individuals themselves who are the key to identifying what it is they need to feel both safe and to be able to be productive on their jobs. But sometimes we've in the past kind of gone with formula stuff. Um, this is giving us an opportunity, as you said, to go beyond that, to get really creative. Um, and within the customized employment realm, that's what it's all about. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, going back to what you were talking about and asking employers, uh, what, is, what are their plans? Uh, I think that's really important to, 
to to dive into that with employers. What are your preparedness plans? And and also, are they really, you know, walking the walking the talk of yeah. them? It's one thing to have a plan and to have a kind of a canned, uh, you know, set of papers that say we're going to do this and that, but to really find out whether people are walking the talk. And I think that's right. something that is was done pre pre uh, COVID pre pandemic era. And, you know, in, in individuals that are seeking employment as they meet with potential employers, uh, you know, customized employment really stresses that you're, you're really interviewing them as much as they're meeting you and, and finding out, is this a good environment for me? Does this employer have the things that are important to me and that I value and, and that will be important for my success? And so, yeah, all those things uh, certainly are really important. And I, I've encouraged people who are really reluctant and concerned, especially this works well if it's a customer interface kind of setting, you know, just do a, I don't know what they call that when people go in, secret shopper kind of visit, you know, just go in because so much in all of this depends on the manager, the supervisor, mm -hmm. you know, the if it's a chain, it depends on which, you know, store maybe implements things well. You know, go take a visit, see it. Um, there was one young lady who had been, a, she had been promoted from like bagger to cashier um, at a grocery store and she just didn't want to stay home. She wanted to go back to that job. She loves that job. And uh, of course, family has concerned, but they were able to just go in and see every, this grocery store had put everything you could put in place in place people actually were standing on the dots in line, you know, socially distancing. They had the plexiglass, everybody was wearing masks. Um, they had a policy at the door and that just alleviated the, the anxiety over that dis decision. I think it's harder for families when you can't go in and check it out uh, because it's not a customer interface kind of setting and there is an element of trust. And that's why I think sometimes getting the employer involved as part of the discussion is, is helpful. One family I talked to said when they voiced some concerns um, and sent an email, the CEO actually offered to have a discussion with them. Um, that included some of the support personnel and the individual. And as an outcome of that, they felt so relieved of uh, what could have been enough anxiety to keep them from allowing that um, person who was vulnerable to go into that setting. Yeah, well, that's a real indicator of how much that particular company uh, values their employees. Right. And right. Uh, so, yeah, that's a really good example. I love that idea about sort of being a, a secret shopper or going someplace, if it's appropriate for the business. Obviously, every business isn't set up that way, but if it's appropriate, being able to go just as an anonymous, you know, visitor, if you will, because then you really do see uh, what what the reality is versus uh, if somebody's putting on a show for you. So right. yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, great idea, uh, Barb. I appreciate that. You had mentioned earlier, just talking a little bit about how families uh, access information. Would you like yeah. to talk a little bit more about that? Sure, I think the real challenge, and this again, isn't just disability specific. The real challenge is knowing what information to trust. This is a novel virus which means we don't really know what we're doing. We're, you know, everyone's doing the best they can to take like best guesses almost. And you know, the information like about masks has changed like 10 times over time, but nevertheless, we're trying to take the best course um, to err on the side of safety. 
So I myself personally have found it hard to get good information. Um, I forgot to say as part of my story with Brandon, one of the ways we made an informed decision was to try to get some um, opinion from medical providers. So I think what's important is not to go on the internet and try to figure out whether or not your uh, the individual is at great risk or your or your family is, but go local. Um, you know what's happening in another state is not what's happening here. What's happening in your county is not necessarily what's happening next door, um, and um, getting that information about your situation is so important. So I asked um, both our family member who has an underlying health disorder, um, asked the physician about the um, pros and cons or advisability of a family member who may be spending time in our home um, going back into the workforce. And then um, we tapped into Brandon's primary caregiver uh, to ask that question as well to make that part of the mix. And um, both of them said, you know, as long as you take the precautions that you need to take and you feel confident that the environment is one that is also taking these, these uh, cautions, that they wouldn't advise against it. Um, now, I know other people whose primary care physicians said, no, you should not expose them to that environment. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I think so where to get information is try to get it from reliable sources not by googling it on the internet um, you know organizations like the CDC um, the Department of Health's um, updated information for our state which you can search by county can all inform it but it still goes down to the place of business your situation um, you know there were a couple of people who whose decision was greatly impacted by their roommate so like in a group home setting, you have different constraints around making a decision about this. Um, one of the individuals I spoke with who shared um, some great information about her young adult who has um, deaf blindness and um, has some uh, autism on, layered on top of that, rooms with someone with a very significant compromised health uh, set of issues because of a physical disability. So in that case, um, the individual who's self-employed at home with supports had to get really creative to find some workspace, not in the apartment itself, but in the apartment building, when they were shutting down all the common areas in this apartment building. But that was done out of concern for that roommate. Um, and they did get creative and they were able to find a little hallway with a table that could be set up at the end of that hallway to use for that workspace and they got some support from the employment provider in getting that set up and then kind of monitoring that. But that's all to say um, those sources of information can be specific to you, but they also have to take into account the needs of the support professionals. So in some cases, families had to switch to virtual support to like get the individual set up for the day virtually to walk them through what was gonna happen rather than being in person with them. In other cases, as I said, out of respect for roommates or um, other people that you live with, individuals had to make different decisions. So um, PACER can be a source of information. We always direct people to the disability-specific organization, you know, Down Syndrome Association, ARC for People with Developmental Disabilities, Autism Society, um, um, 
mental health. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting the one for mental health. I'm so sorry. I believe um, you're, you're probably thinking of NAMI. NAMI, NAMI. Um, they can give great input as well that's specific to your, your kind of main set of concerns. Um, and then the medical community. And we've already talked about getting good information from the employers and the support providers. So I think those are all um, good ways to approach this. PACER can help you get directed to good sources of accurate information. Um, we are not experts, but we generally say we don't know everything, but we pretty much know who does. And we'll try to get you um, connected to those people who can provide that information. Yeah, I, I like that saying. We say that as well. Uh, you know, we might not know the answer, but uh, we'll find out who does if we don't know. So I, I appreciate that. That's all really, really great information. I think I think the audience can see why Minnesota ABSI asked you to, to be with us today, Barb. Really appreciate that. Um, well, with the time we have left, can you think of any other questions that families might have or, or you think they might have uh, from the provider perspective? Yeah, I, the, the questions I got in the, you know, I, I talked to quite a few parents and a lot of it seemed to revolve around um, what kinds of accommodations can you make? You know, like what's on the menu of options? Because beyond a mask, gloves, and washing your hands a lot, um, sometimes families aren't aware of the kinds of accommodations that could be made. And so I think um, families need to know um, more about what could be provided. Um, one of the, the stories um, was it, uh, that I um, talked to a family about was an individual who is on the autism spectrum. He has some great skills that he's developed uh, over work experience the last few years. He's in like his final year of the 18 to 21 year old transition program, mean um, kind of time of life. But he has really high anxiety that requires outside, you know, therapy. Um, and he was offered this really great um, internship that could lead to a job. And they assumed when he was offered that, that it had to be in person. So they asked for an accommodation of limiting the in-person time and cited that he had these new skills that had been developed over the last six months of being able to do things virtually. Um, and uh, when they, he was worried about asking for that, but they were already with a backup plan of what if they say no, and they had to talk that all out. Well, once they made the accommodation request, that employer actually said, listen, we're not even going to make you come in one day a week. If you're just willing to come in one day at the beginning of this to get your equipment and get acclimated, and then one time midway through and one time at the end, we can make it work for you virtually. So I think having uh, families need to know from all of the people involved, what are some possibilities about how we could make this work? Otherwise, the default in many cases, and in some of the parents I talked to, the default is, this is too scary. This is, you know, I, one of the parents said, my 16-year-old had an offer. We can't send our 16-year-old out there not knowing how this is going to work. Um, so they had to make a hard decision, um, and they didn't move forward with that. So um, somehow proactively helping families know Yes, these are some of the issues. These are some of the ways they've been addressed successfully. And let's talk together about some possibilities for heightened support, different support, or accommodations. And let us help you um, know how to make those requests um, or the individual, how to help the individual. Make 
Yeah, and I think you, you hit on a key point, which is uh, sometimes you don't know until you ask. And exactly. so for that, that one person that was given the accommodation of, of getting equipment and, and working from home, wouldn't have known that if they didn't ask. Um, you know, many of the, the accommodations that the provider community are, are working on right now center around a lot of technology, of course, being able to do things right. uh, via Zoom. Like there's a there's something in the process we use uh, that was developed by uh, Griffin Hammes Associates. Uh, it's called Discovering Personal Genius. And there's a the opening kind of stage of the process is what's called a home visit. And we're doing those virtually now. Uh, so with, you know, the, the person would at home have some type of, you know, iPad or computer or, or phone. Um, and, and the home visit would be that person would walk them around, walk, you know, us around the home with the, the video and we would ask our questions and see what's important to that person, you know, that way. Right. Um, Can I add one thing that I yeah. feel like I, I really have to say? Yeah, know, please. In, in respecting families. Um, a lot of the things I've talked about today may not apply to all situations. I, you know, I'm aware and talk with families whose individuals have really high support needs and they may have needs that require really close contact. So this individual who's deaf blind, for instance, when, when you need cued language, it's, it's highly tactile and it's, it's literally in your face and on your body. Um, that raises a whole different level of concerns. And um, also, in many of the cases of the people that I talk to whose individuals from their family are successfully working or successfully pursuing a job, the families have had to rise to the task of providing more support themselves in many cases, and not all families are able to do that. So many of the families I talk to are, you know, they're the backup tra transportation plan for sure. Um, they often are getting more involved if you've got to use technology not every individual can use technology as you alluded to as well um so i just you know if families are listening and you're thinking you don't understand our case is unique mm -hmm. we do understand and um i think we all need to work hard on it but sometimes there is going to be a furlough period or a timeout for certain indiv individuals and in those cases i just really encourage people to still um keep the conversation going about, we expect you to go back to work, we're gonna support you to go back to work, and to use that time to develop uh, skills that will help them when they return to work, um, which I have some great examples of what some families did to set up work-related kinds of skill building in their home um, with support um, to take advantage of this time out, maybe from that in-person job. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's great. I would love to hear one of those examples. Right now? Yeah. Okay. So um, a young woman who had been working for a catering company, um, as you can imagine, the catering company business kind of tanked there for a while. And so she was at home, but she did have some support um, that could work with her. And the parent was working at home as well. So they had some at-home time. And so they um, did things like had her inventory their home pantry because inventory a pantry at the uh the, oh, what's the word the business was a skill that she was going to need to have ordering supplies um and working on some specific 
catering skills that were job tasks that she was involved at when she was at work. So those were things that you could do within a home environment. Other individuals um, that I've uh, talked to have used this time to ramp up the technology skills um, because whatever happens with COVID, I think we've entered a new level of the need to use technology. Mm -hmm. So they've really focused on where can we get support for that and how can we do that? So I, I just love that example of the catering company. Um, when you think of all the applications at home to that, folding the napkins, doing the prep work for uh, food, there's all sorts of things we can be doing um, that will increase their skills all the time saying when you go back to work, not if you go back to work. Right. Right. Now that's a great, uh, that's a great example and a really creative example of what one person did to kind of keep their skills up, sharpen their skills even uh, while they were waiting uh, to go back to work. And, and as, uh, as you were alluding to as well, there is no, you know, magic wand that, that can, can, you know, just make every situation uh, fit perfectly and, and everybody's circumstance is unique and, Certainly, uh, we understand, you know, from the provider community that that not everybody is going to have the same level or access uh, to technology. Um, and sometimes uh, supporting somebody with that technology means that they have somebody there, uh, whether it's whatever their residential support is, uh, somebody there helping them with that technology. Sometimes that's part of the support plan, you know, as well. Uh, so. Um, it's really about each individual situation sort of, of looking at it and, and seeing what we can do. And so got, kind of going back to what, what kind of possibilities uh, are out there for families. First, it, it, uh, and I'm sorry to answer a question with a question, but the first thing is ask, you know, uh, it, you know get to know the organization. So this is because we, we uh, as providers meet with each individual and their families, whoever is important in their team, you know, one at a time. And we have certainly methods that we use, but uh, no one situation or one person is the same. And so it's about, well, what, what kind of possibilities and what is needed, you know, for this person. But certainly the technology, I, I know um, a provider that was actually able to get some grant money to even provide some iPads for, for people that job seekers that were looking for work so they could use those, you know, during the process. So, I mean, that's just one example. It doesn't mean everybody watching today is going to get an iPad, but I mean, it's a, it's, it's a way that, uh, that people are working to help. Um, the example you gave about the additional, you know, plexiglass for that uh, one person was a great way to, to tackle that situation. And so it's really just kind of, you know, person by person, we don't have any magic, answers in terms of we can't guarantee, you know, 100% safety, but we couldn't guarantee that before the pandemic, you know, it's about, it's about uh, that, like you said, that cost and benefit and making those decisions. And it really gets down to that, that, you know, dignity of risk as well. And, and what is the right decision for each person to make by no means uh, ever throwing caution to the wind but having those expectations and sort of peeling back the onion and of what's possible and, and, uh, and being as, you know, creative, creative as possible. But uh, I can tell you that providers are taking the pandemic very seriously and are, are providing services uh, in ways that are, are as safe as possible. 
and respecting each individual's situation as well. Good. I think families uh, need to hear that. Good. Good. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, I, I, think, uh, I think that's our time for today. Uh, it has been so great to, to see you again, Barb, and to spend this time with you today. Um, and, and just a reminder, uh, well, if you're watching this, you, you already figured out how to find it, but uh, uh, you can go to the Minnesota APSE website. It's uh, mnapse.org. And uh, there's a little YouTube uh, icon on the bottom there, and that's where this uh, podcast will be kept. But you can so you can tell your friends about it and share them, share that with them. If you have any additional questions for me, you can find me on the Minnesota APSI uh, page uh, under the Board of Directors. And and Barb, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? Probably the best way to do it is um, well, you can visit our website, which is pacer.org, www.paceer.org. If you go to the um, National Parent Center on Transition and Employment um, link, then there there's an email. So it's just transition at pacer.org. Um, there's an email link, there, our phone number. We're, we're all working virtually. So I can be reached uh, via Pacer's main number, 952-838-9000. Or um, you can email pacer at pacer.org or transition at pacer.org and an advocate or a transition specialist will contact you or if it's something for me, I'll contact you um, and we can set up a time to talk or communicate via email. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, thanks again, Barb, so much. Uh, on behalf of everybody watching, uh, we thank you and thank you for all the great work that you're doing. And uh, Brandon, if you're watching, keep up the good work. Uh, and I'm gonna, you said you have a kind of a tagline you often end with, and I find myself more than ever saying this at the end of conversations with families, which is uh, my encouragement for you to keep hope alive. I like that. I like that very much. Um, and we will be keeping the Minnesota APSI uh, podcasts alive. Uh, we think, but I'm not 100% sure, our next one will be with Alicia Munson. Uh, we have some other things that we're, we're throwing around right now too, idea-wise, but uh, we hope to definitely be back with you again uh, very soon. Uh, so for now, I'll sign off on, on behalf of Barb and myself and Minnesota APSI. Uh, thank you for, for spending this time with us today. And remember, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Thank <laughs> you.